Sometimes the lights are fading, and it's not because you're old, it's because the lights are fading. <laughs> Every time I look at the pulpit, I'm like, is that me or is it the lighting? But uh, how are you this morning? <laughs> Amen. Did you enjoy worshiping the Lord? Amen. 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 You know what I like most about two services is we get to do that twice. Amen. Heaven's going to be awesome. Just nonstop worship. Amen. Come on. Woo. Man, I bet the angels could really get after it too. Just, uh, I bet you play guitar good, Tony, right? So we are in the book of Revelation here. Revelation chapter 3, if you kind of make your way there. We're going to look at verses 14 through 22. We're in our series on repentance today, and I hope that this series is affecting you as much as it's affecting me. Uh, the Holy Spirit is so faithful to grant us the, the gift of repentance and the kindness that God would point out things in us that need to be straightened out before him. We use this verse in Acts as kind of the linchpin, the center point of our sermon series here. Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What an awesome scripture that is, amen, that we can come to God and have all our mess just taken away and be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, anyone excited about that this morning? Could you imagine if we had to carry the weight of every sin we committed in this life all the days of our life, that as like baggage, it would weigh us down? That would be terrible. It's not the case because God forgives us and cleanses us and removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, amen? Come on this morning. If you're carrying burdens, let them go. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to cleanse us of every sin. So we're talking about repentance and we looked at the churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus spoke to. He spoke to seven churches. Five out of the seven he called to repentance. We're going to thank God for the word and then we're going to hop right in. We're going to look at Laodicea this morning. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you bring the text alive to us, that these are not just words on a page, but they're the living, breathing revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, show us the truth that you've tucked in here as Jesus speaks to Laodicea. Let the implications of what he says rock us to the core, that, Father, we would allow you to scrutinize every area of our hearts that we might be brought into perfect alignment with your will for us, and that we would walk in the freedom of being right with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So repentance, we understand, is for the unbeliever in that when someone doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the way we get into the kingdom is to repent of our sins, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, to believe that God raised him from the dead, and then we are saved. So we get that. You know, we understand. We give an altar call. Someone raises their hand. We open the altar. People come up, and they get on their knees, and with tears, they repent and receive Christ. We understand that. But repentance is not just for the lost. It's for those who are Christians as well. And every week, I ask the question, has anyone had a sinless week? I'm not even going to ask anymore because I've been goose egg for every attempt. We all still sin. If, you, if you're out there going, I, don't, I can't remember any sin this week, ask your spouse, ask your family. They'll tell you. 
but we all still sin, and so because we do, we need to repent. And for the, for the lost person, they repent, they're converted, they're forgiven, and they're refreshed. It's the same process for you and I as children of God. We repent from our wrong behavior, our wrong thinking, the wrong patterns, and we're converted for them. That's what repentance means. It's a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. That formerly we did one thing, but now we do another. Amen. How many could say amen that since you've come to Christ, everything has changed in your life, and what you formerly used to do, you don't even want to do anymore. Come on. Amen. So that's the change that repentance brings. Now, four out of the five churches uh, that Jesus told to repent, we have covered. We looked at Ephesus, which was the loveless church. They had left their first love, and that's the first thing we need to guard against Stay in love with Jesus. Then there was Pergamos, and they were the compromised church. And Thyatira, they were the corrupt church. We looked at Sardis last time, and they were the dead church. Jesus said, you have the reputation of being alive, but spiritually, you're dead. Ouch. We're going to see some similarities as we cover the fifth and final church that Jesus tells to repent in Revelation 3. 14 through 22, and I'm going to read it to you. Now, we're not going to cover all of this text this week. I'm going to spend at least two weeks in Laodicea because it's so relevant for our culture. But let's listen to verse 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. Does it sound like the culture of the day? Does it sound like the West? God help us. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's so much in there. It's just packed full. We're going to look at the verse, three verses today. Wednesday night knows what that's all about. Like every time he drinks, they clap. What's wrong? So Laodicea is the church here, and then we had kind of monikers that described all the church, the loveless church, the compromised church, the corrupt church. Laodicea is the lukewarm or the disgusting church. If you ever put something in your mouth that immediately you want to get out of your mouth, how many people, you know, like men, we drink out of the milk jug and our wives yell at us, right? But then there's one in the milk jug that's in the back of the refrigerator. It's now chunks of milk. It's, and then you just, as soon as, look, I know it's tough, it's early, 
But as soon as that hits your mouth, immediately your body's like, reverse, they want, get out, right? And this is, that, this is the same kind of idea here that, you know, something spewed out, something just not fit for consumption hits your mouth and it makes you, it makes you vomit, it makes you sick. And following form, uh, we noted last week that every time Jesus addressed the churches, he spoke to the angel presiding over that church. This is no different here in Laodicea. In verse 14, he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? So the, the message is going to the angel that presides over that church. Uh, when we talked about this, we said that God has appointed angelic coverings over the church. There's angels here this morning. They are ministering spirits dispatched from God to protect us and keep us. <clears throat> You know, people, well, I don't see them. Well, keep your elbows in because they're moving through the aisle. So I'm going to get hit with the drink cart, you know, when the angel's coming down. But. And, you know, some people say, well, no, the angel of the church is the pastor of the church. Now, uh, the word angel here is translated uh, from the Greek as the word messenger. Angels are messengers from the Lord. I don't believe these letters are written to pastors of the church since five of these churches are described as corrupt and, you know, messed up, disgusting. It's like uh, God's talking to the angel delivering to the church Pastors are God's gift to the body, but you know what? We're all just still human, amen? And here's God speaking to the angel, delivering a message to the church of Laodicea. Now, Jesus is described to this church. If you'll notice, when he speaks to every church, there's a description given of him that allows that church to see him in a way that the words he's about to speak will impact them. There's a threefold description of Jesus seen here, and I want to just kind of break that apart and look at the implications. It says, these, are the, these things says, now here's the description, the amen, the faithful and true witness witness the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is described in three ways. First, he's called the amen. How many people say amen a lot? Amen. amen. There's another one. First service, I said that no, people said yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're the sharper group this morning. Amen. So we say amen in church. And what does that mean? So be it. It's an affirmation that we're saying. Yeah, that's the final word. That's the final answer. Amen. Jesus is being described as the final answer, the so be it. He is God's perfect, complete revelation to us, fully God and fully man. Listen to what Colossians 2.9 says about Jesus. For in him dwells all the faithful, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Check that out. In him dwells all the fullness. That means when you look at Jesus, you see everything we need to know about God the Father. He's not God Jr. He's not God Light. I was, wait, I was waiting for some of you. He is fully God and fully man. The fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seen in Jesus. Jesus said, you want to see the Father to his disciples? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Wow. There are still people that walk around, oh, Jesus isn't God, Jesus is this, Jesus is that. He is fully God. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so because that's who he is, he's the amen. He's the final word, the final answer. This is going to be important because the things he's about to say to Laodicea would warrant that he had those credentials to be the last word. Number two, he's the faithful and true witness. I want you to know, Jesus' words, if you got red letters in your Bible, every word of Scripture is 100 percent true but the words of Jesus there again they are a faithful and true witness his words his commands his judgments are all a hundred percent spot on every time all the time 
Jesus never had a bad day. Jesus never went off script. Jesus never got in the flesh and said some. Everything he said was 110% true. So when he says something about us, when he says something to us, we don't have to think, is that true or not? What has God spoken to you? Do you doubt it? Do you, do you say, oh, I don't think so? If he says, you, you know, you're mine, I love you, I, I've got you, I've called you, and you think, oh, I don't feel any of that. His words are 110% true. He never says things just for effect. He never says things that people want to hear. He, 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 what he says, he's the faithful and true witness. You know, a lot of times people just tell you what, what you want to hear. Come on, you know why? Because they want you to get off their back. Come on, married people. Come on. How does that dress look? It looks good. How's this color paint? I like it. It's good. You're not even looking at it. Married people know. We just say things to get, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's the right answer? Whatever gets me out of the store fastest, that's what I. But Jesus doesn't do that. You guys are, you guys are tough this morning. I think I started some fights on the way home. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. So he's the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. And he's also creator. This is the, this is the third part of the, you know, the three points that are given here. It says in, in John uh, 1, 2 through 3, he was the, in the beginning with God. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. He's begotten, not made, but he always was preexistent. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Do you hear that? And without him, nothing was made that is made. Jesus is creator. And why is this important, especially for Laodicea and us today? Because he, he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible says that we were, you know, we were intricately and fearfully and wonderfully made. We were knit together in our mother's womb. And Jesus was involved in that and present for that. He chose, you know, the way we look, the way our voices would sound, our eye color, our hair color, our stature. Oh, some of you are mad now. <laughs> You're looking at me like, I want to talk to the manager. Look, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. And he was involved in our creation. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. None of us can go, Jesus, you know, what are you talking about? You don't even know. No, he's the potter. We're the clay. This is who he is, and this is how he's being revealed to Laodicea and to us this morning. He's the amen, the final word, the faithful and true witness. He's the creator who knows us intimately. This description of Jesus affirms that he is in every way worthy to judge them spiritually, to diagnose their real spiritual condition, and to tell them what they need to do to be right with him. He alone is qualified to do that. This description, you know, kind of drives that point home. And you say, well, why is that important with Laodicea? Because listen, Laodicea was a church within the church age, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but they were a church that was willing to take correction from no one. How many, how many realize we live in a generation that doesn't take correction from anyone? Come on, you're not looking at me. You're not saying anything. I'm going to start throwing water. <laughs> well, I'll take a drink, I guess. <laughs> yeah, hold that. I'll be back. <laughs> Nobody listens to anybody anymore. 
No one has respect for anyone. Children say things to their parents. I've seen children, you know, curse out their parents on the base. I've seen all kinds of things. No one listens to the pastor. No one listens to the police officer. No one listens to the government. And everybody just says, you don't have a right to tell me what to do. If I have a right to, if I have a right to do whatever I want to do. If I commit a crime, don't you arrest me. Don't you stop me. How dare you charge me? I, I, there's no bail. I'm not going to jail. I can do what I want. That's the culture we live in today. You know, we can pretend it's not happening and it doesn't exist, but it is. And it's the Laodicean period here that we're seeing. Nobody submits to any authority. And the description of Jesus is that, you know what? I am able to judge you. My words are 110% true. I know you better than you know yourself. And this morning, uh, Jesus is able to correct us and teach us this morning. Amen. So he's got their attention, hopefully, and I hope he has ours this morning. But uh, this church wasn't willing to take correction. And when, when those in the world and in the church try to hold people's feet to the fire to do what's right and godly, uh, people rebel against it. Laodicea is the church uh, that's described as the last days church. Now, I want to say a few things about uh, what we've covered so far. We've looked at these churches, you know, where we had Ephesus and Pergamos and Tyra. We had the loveless, the compromised, the corrupt. I want you to understand these things happen in a linear sense where one church gave way to the next. The first church was the Apostles' Church. Then you had another church. Then you had the medieval period. And if you trace it throughout church history, you can see these churches lay out in a linear sense. So by that understanding, the last day's church will be the Laodicean church. And we are in the last days. And we see the marks of the Laodicean church in the church and in the world all around us. And if you can't see that, please, please open your eyes today and understand Laodicea describes the period that we are in right now. Now, the church didn't want to listen, didn't want to take correction. And uh, 2 Timothy describes a, a church or a culture in such a state in, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Listen to this. Paul is talking to Timothy, his protege, a young minister. He says, preach the word, be instant in and out of season, convict, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching for the time will come. Listen, Paul's forecasting here and we're in this time. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers that will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Itching ears that want to hear what they want to hear. I know pastors that were thrown out of churches because they preached stuff that was in the Bible that the, the church didn't want to hear. I know youth pastors that were thrown out of youth groups for telling the young people not to fornicate, it's not godly, and they threw them out of the church. Itching ears that want to hear what they want to hear and want to be entertained and want to have fun but don't want to be convicted and don't want to be confronted and don't want to get at the altar and repent. And this message is all about repentance. Repentance. And our generation doesn't want to listen to anyone. In verse 15, Jesus says to the Laodicean church basically what he says to Sardis. Listen to this. I know your works. Now, he says this to every church. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold 
or hot. Let's stop there again. If you notice all the churches, he would say, I know your works, and then he would list them. To Sardis, he had nothing to list. To Laodicea, again, he has nothing to list. There were no works on their behalf that he saw as spiritually significant. Basically, everything they did was self-serving. When the God who's gracious and rich in mercy and prone to forgive sinners and prone to erase sin has nothing good to say about you, you are in sad shape. Laodicea was in sad shape. Have you ever been around someone who was, you know, they needed, they were fishing for a compliment? Anyone? Come on, stop and think for a second. You know, they, you could tell they wanted a compliment. They wanted you to encourage them. And, you know, they were pushing and they were fishing and you were like, I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing good to say. You know, we learned from Bambi and from Thumper, if you got nothing good to say, don't say. Wow, they're trailing off. They don't know. <laughs> don't say nothing at all. So, you know, someone they're fishing and, and, and basically, you know, later to see, you would have loved to hear some compliments from Jesus, but he's got nothing and in good conscience, he can't say anything. And many times, you know, we've been around people like that. There was a very old man and he's standing in front of a full length mirror and he says to his wife, he says, as I look in the mirror, I see my hair is gone and my teeth are missing. I, I have bags under my eyes. I can see all the wrinkles. I have no muscle tone and my belly is the most prominent feature on me. Please, honey, say something to encourage me. The wife said, on a positive note, your eyesight is perfect. <laughs> when you got nothing good to say, God has no works to list. They're in bad shape, and unlike the man looking in the mirror, they didn't even see it in themselves. What a dangerous spiritual position to be in. Jesus continues, he says, I wish that you were hot or cold. I wish, listen to that, the creator, the, the, the God of heaven and earth with all power, omniscient, omnipresent. Jesus says, I wish, this is what he wishes for. I wish that you were hot or cold. Why does he say that? Because there are certain spiritual conditions God can work with and certain ones that he can't. If you, let's look at the spiritual condition of being hot. That describes someone who's fully engaged in the things of God. They're passionate, they're excited, they're committed, and they're available for kingdom things. If you've been hot in your spiritual life or you're hot for the kingdom right now, you know you're excited about the word. You're excited about worship. You're excited about the move of the Holy Spirit. Come on. You, every time the church doors open, you're here. Amen. Every time God's moving, you want to be there. If you're hot for kingdom things, then you're excited about being in God's house and doing God's will. And if you're in that condition, that's a great condition to be in. And it's a, it's a difficult condition to maintain. But what if you're cold? The spiritual condition of being cold describes someone who has no desire to be involved in the things of God. And they're, they're bored with church. And they're unimpressed by what happens inside the church. They're unmotivated and even annoyed about the demands of being part of the kingdom. The truth is there are times where we're like, oh, man, not another meeting. Come on, not another fast. Another fast? I can already see the tips of my shoes. Ain't I good, God? Is this good enough? You know, you got, I, I don't want to, oh, church again? Another meeting? We all get there sometimes. Spiritually hot, spiritually cold, 
Jesus can work with those things. But then, shockingly, even God himself has little success in working with those who have become indifferent towards him. Mm. Matthew 13, starting in verse 55, the people were indifferent towards Jesus when he went to minister in his hometown. They realized Jesus had done miracles. He'd raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. His fame had spread everywhere. He shows up at his hometown. He's, he's in his hometown. And this is their response to him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Aren't they not all with us? Where then did this man acquire all these things? Verse 57, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and in his own house. Verse 58, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. See, God can work with doubters. God can work with overzealous people. But when people uh, don't believe and they are disconnected and they are indifferent towards him, God himself has a hard time working with people like that. Jesus didn't do many miracles there. Why? Did his miracle power dry up? Did the Holy Spirit pack up and leave? No, he was still exactly who he was, but their unbelief put a lid on what God was able to do in their midst. I understand God, you know, is so offended at those who are indifferent than him, to him. And that's what indifference is all. This is all about indifference here. That person who's cold has become indifferent. You know, indifference means a lack of interest or concern about the things we should care about. I want, you to, I want you to think about that definition. This, this being, you know, lukewarm, we're going to look at that in a minute, but it's all about indifference. And you know what? If you've ever heard someone speak about indifference or articulate it, it's actually quite shocking to hear someone express their indifference about a person. You know, the worst thing that someone can be towards you is indifferent. If your spouse is indifferent, if your family's indifferent, if your, your, your peers are indifferent, that means th they don't care about you and you don't make a difference to them either way. This is the way the Laodiceans had treated God. And indifference was a serious situation. And when you articulate it, it's actually quite shocking. I remember as a young kid, you know, uh, watching that movie Rocky, I think it was Rocky IV or something, where Ivan Drago, you know, he's going to fight Apollo. And he, they say, you know, he might die. And he says, what? If he dies, he dies. <laughs> Who remembers that? I remember as a kid being like, that was indifference. And I was like, whoa, can't say that about Apollo. That's cold. That's cold-hearted right there, Drago. You didn't watch Rocky? Shot. But indifference expressed is quite shocking when someone, because I, I don't care about racial injustice. I don't care about starving children. I don't care about, you know, I don't care about murdered babies or drug trafficking or sex trafficking. I don't care. My wallet's fat. I got a nice car. I got a good job. I'm retiring. I don't care about that. I've heard people express indifference that it's shocking to me. And we live in a culture that's indifferent to the things that we should care about. 
And that's exactly what had happened to this church in a spiritual sense. They were indifferent towards God. He could work with the hot, he could work with the cold, but he didn't have much leverage in working with those who were in between. And he says, I wish you were hot or cold. What had actually happened to the Laodicean church is that they vacillated between being spiritually engaged and spiritually indifferent for so long that they had become a nauseating hybrid of the two things, and the word calls them lukewarm. Oh, I'm excited for God. I'm in church. I'm doing the things of God. Man, I don't want anything to do with that right now. Those people are all hypocrites. I'm sick and tired. All, you know, the pastor's crazy. All they want is your money. You know, oh, then, oh, I'm in church. And yeah, it's great. Praise God. And back and forth and up and down and in and out till they became a hybrid of those two things. They became somewhere in the middle and they got indifferent towards God. And it became nauseating to him. God help us if we're stuck in the middle. Because if we're hot, he can work with us and keep us hot. If we're cold, he can revive us and set us on fire again. Listen to me, whatever state you're in, if you're hot this morning, pray God give you balance and keep you hot. If you're cold this morning, I pray God ignites you once again and that you get on fire for Jesus, amen. You get excited about the things of the kingdom. And if we're stuck in the middle in any place, Lord, I pray that he would grant us the gift of repentance, that he show kindness to us to allow us, because indifference towards God is so unjust. He's done so much for us and been so good to us. How could we be indifferent towards him? Now, in verse 16, as I kind of bring this in for a landing here, uh, we, we see that you know, this name that is used is lukewarm, and we might think, you know, it's kind of a funny word to say, but we kind of get it. The people in Laodicea knew exactly what Jesus meant by lukewarm. And here, let me give you some historical background uh, of this church in Laodicea. Now, Hierapolis was to the north of Laodicea, and Hierapolis had really healthy hot springs. Colossae was to the south of Laodicea, and they had really healthy cold springs. The water was clean and refreshing, and Laodicea was somewhere in the middle of those two cities, and they had always had a problem with their water supply. Their water supply was brought from Colossae with the, you know, the, those cold springs and that fresh water, but it was fed to them via aqueducts that the Romans built for six miles. It came six miles from the south. Now, by the time that cold water went six miles through the aqueduct and wound up in Laodicea, the water had become tepid, unclean, and undrinkable. If you've ever drank water or water from a shallow place, I remember going to Guatemala, all their water supply, their lakes were very shallow. And they, the kids, even in July or August, had the sniffles and runny noses and colds because the water had so much bacteria in it. The water was unhealthy, unclean, but it's all they had. The Laodiceans, they piped in that cold water through the aqueduct, but by the time it got there, it was undrinkable. It was, you, you'd, you put it in your mouth and it'd be like, and you want to spit it out. So when Jesus said, you have become like your water supply, you know that stuff that makes you sick and gives you the sniffles and you want to spit out of your mouth and it's not refreshing, they knew exactly what he meant. We have to be so aware today of the true condition 
of our, our spiritual walk, that we haven't become lukewarm, that we haven't become up and down so much that we're a hybrid of being hot and being cold, and now we're stuck in the middle. The Laodiceans knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy describes the church when it comes into this church period, what it's going to look like. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanders, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Wow. It doesn't take a spiritual rocket science to see we're there in this generation. And it seems to be spinning more and more out of control. We need God to first come and straighten out the church before the world has a hope. We can look at the world and go, it's going crazy out there. What's going on? Stay inside. Don't go out. There there are people in certain cities that don't go out after dark. And they they, they stay inside. Why? Because it's dangerous. And here we are, and we're supposed to be the church, and we're supposed to be salt, and we're supposed to be light, and we're supposed to bring the good news of the gospel to them. Amen? And the world's spinning out of control. Realize this, judgment begins at the house of the Lord first. If my people who are called by my name, come on, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to repent. We, well, well, pastor, I don't know what to repent for. I'm not doing any of that stuff. We've got to repent for getting cool or lukewarm or, or, or being, you know, just not, not engaged in part of the solution. If we're on and off, up and down, disinterested, disengaged, or unmotivated about the things of the kingdom, we've got to repent. We're the only hope for this world. We've got to get it right so that they have a hope. I want us to just, amen. I want us to just bow our heads and take a little bit of time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, and all of us have areas where whether we like to admit it or not, we're probably a little bit lukewarm or probably a little bit cold. And we, we need God to refresh us and revive us, but we've got to repent and, and we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to recalibrate the trajectory of our, of our spiritual walk. So let's just take a few minutes in the, the presence of God and allow him to put his finger on things that are keeping us cold or lukewarm. Holy Spirit, show us where we've cooled off, where we've taken a step back, where we've become disinterested.
God, if we're indifferent about the things that we should be concerned about, the preaching of the gospel, the condition of the lost, the condition of our nation, convict us today and grant us repentance. Help us to be salt and light in this generation that we wouldn't just sit back and watch it crumble, but that we would fight for our children, fight for our youth, fight for this nation, fight for the the, the nations of the world. Pray for revival and to be engaged in the things of the kingdom. God, let it begin with us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.